You're listening to Power Pearls Podcast, where it's all about empowering your knits and pearls. My name is Kara Gott Warner, life coach and host of the show, and I help women to be more intuitive, navigate time management, and understand how mindset plays a crucial role in confidence and creative transformation. This episode is brought to you by my Tame Your Time Roadmap, a live six-week interactive coach in a box workshop where I show you how to create and implement a time management strategy that takes the overwhelm and confusion out of the planning process. You get six weeks of lessons and live coaching with me. Enrollment opens today and class begins March 9th. So check it all out and sign up at karagotwarner.com forward slash tame your time roadmap and I'll see you inside. Hey there, Power Pearlers. Welcome to another episode. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Mary Jean Packer, who is the president of Batten Kill Fibers Carding and Spinning Mill. This is a fiber processing mill located in Greenwich, New York. And Mary Jean founded the mill in 2009 and provides custom carding and spinning services for fiber farms and uh, to manufacture. Uh, yarn and fiber products for indie designers, wholesale and retail markets. The mill produces 100 to 150 pounds of artisan quality semi-worsted spun yarn daily. And using, and she's basically the, the mill uses refurbished traditional milling machinery. And by the way, Mary Jean is also the co-founder of the nonprofit Hudson Valley Textile Project, which connects farmers, makers, and designers. And her work with that, with that sustainable textile initiative led her to being featured in the spring 2019 edition of Where Women Create. And if that wasn't enough, by the way, <laughs> she lives on a working maple syrup farm with her partner, has seven adult children and several grandchildren. She enjoys gardening, knitting, yoga, walking, and snowshoeing. <laughs> so Mary Jean, I want to thank you for joining me today on Power Pearls Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. It's fun already. Oh, yeah. So I shared a little intro about you and hopefully I got all that, all the little details right because there's so much more to your story because you have an impressive background in the needle arts world and the yarn world. So this is why I was so excited to have you back on or have you back on, to have you on <laughs> because we met already. So we go, we go back a little bit because we met at uh, TNNA, but I'm excited to have you on the show for the first time. And I was thrilled that you said yes. Um, and so uh, my intro just scratched the tip of the surface. So I would love it if you could take a few minutes to share a bit more about yourself, your business, and your overall vision. Does that sound good? Perfect. All right, go for it. Well, I think we should go back a little further than 2009. Okay. Um, I think maybe we should go back to 1950-something hmm. and <laughs> talk about uh, me as a little girl because I'm a, a firm believer that who you are and what you're doing when you're five years old indicates what you'll be doing for the rest of your life. 
And I challenge you and everyone listening to just pause a minute and think about what you were doing when you were five and see how that really does um, apply today. And also take a look at what your kids were doing and when they were five and now look at who they've become. And you can see it sure enough. So back in the 50s, I was the only child of older parents. They were very busy with their careers and left me to my own devices quite a bit. Um, I discovered knitting. My mom did not knit, so I'm self-taught. I um, just had a, a pattern book and some needles. And the first thing I made had increases, decreases, I-cord, and cable. And I was five years old. Oh, my god! But I looked at the pictures. <laughs> I read the instructions. And I made it. It was a little kerchief from the Burnett book. It was, of course, in black and white. And um, I still have it here somewhere. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. Um, so I was thinking about that. So what I was doing when I was five. So I did not learn how to knit until I was about 12. Um, but I I don't know what, this is really funny. And I don't know if you remember these, but what came to mind were these little things, they called them color forms. I don't know if you ever. If you yeah, know. oh, sure. The, there was somebody named Wendy maybe involved with it. You dressed her. She had a yeah. raincoat and an umbrella and boots and so uh -huh. on. And it was, yeah, oh, yeah. And I would play with those for hours and hours. And, you know, my in my five-year-old mind, it was like, I, I was like making something new every time. Like what kind of combination can I come up with? <laughs> so I was always in that mindset of like, I was just hungry to make things, you know? And uh, so thanks for kind of putting that little seed into our minds to talk about uh, what it was like when we were five and what we were thinking about, because that really does shape so much about our lives. So, um, so yeah, keep, keep on going through this, uh, through this timeline of your, of your life. <laughs> so uh, textiles just kept becoming a bigger and bigger part. By the time I was 10, I had added fabric and sewing for myself, sewing for my friends, home decor. By the time I went to college, I had added um, embroidery and cruel work um, for myself and for my friends. And always along the way, at each of these ages, there was something to do with keeping track of numbers and math, how things worked, and taking a leadership role in, in all the different team sports or Girl Scout camp or, or whatever. So easily, by the time I was in my 20s, I was set up to be owning a business where you had to do something with engineering and mathematics and related to textiles. I mean, it was all set into place even then. Hmm. So back then, that's kind of where it all started. So what, like, how did you get to where you are today? I mean, b before Battenkill Fibers, you owned a yarn shop, right? I mean, you, you, you really have... Uh, this has been a big part of your life for, for so long. I mean, really, I would say that you're like a veteran in this needle arts world. So do you want to kind of keep going with that little story there and what, what kind of led you to where you are today? Sure. Oh, yes. So I, I let knitting lapse when I was raising my kids and only made like dishcloths and maybe one sweater and one pair of socks a year, not the 10 things on needles that I have today. Um, <laughs> 
and I also had, um, I had started a consulting firm almost 30 years ago now and traveled a lot. So socks were great on an airplane, but I was really about raising the kids and, and managing the, the busy consulting group, uh, but um, 9-11 really caused me and a lot of others uh, who were on the road a lot to think about what, what it had meant to, to be in an airplane that day and, and in future days. And, and I, I really needed to find solace in something. And it, some people, you hear all the stories of they called a lost relative or they went to a church they hadn't been to. Well, I went to a yarn store and I um, just got totally enthralled again with with the new knitting. Um, that's right at the peak of the fun fur craze. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll admit to making a few of those. Um, but, but at any rate, um, I, I really became um, totally reconnected and, and gained a lot of, of, of solace from my knitting. And when I moved to the Watkins Glen, New York area in 2005 and discovered they didn't have a yarn store there, I was devastated because it was way more than the materials. It was the people. A yarn store had had become my family and my community. I, I had found my people and, and so because I knew how to start businesses, I decided, well, I'll just build a yarn store in Watkins Glen, New York, because they obviously need one. Um, I did. Yeah. Uh, I the people one who too. came were. <laughs> Sorry. I cut yeah, you off. I needed one. Yeah, you needed That's one right. too. <laughs> I needed one. So I, I needed a yarn store. So I built one. Um, the people who came were from all over the country because Watkins Glen is a, a tourist attracting area. And all I kept hearing from the people who came is, well, is this made locally? What do you have that's local? What can we get that reminds us of just Watkins Glen? Who are the farmers? Where did this come from? So this barrage of questions. And that led me to do two things. One was to start offering some guided tours of the area's farms and other fiber things. Um, sort of like the, the Finger Lakes region of upstate New York is known for its wine tours and wine tasting. So I kind of modeled the tours to farms and, uh, you know, natural fibers, dyeing classes. Um, and some of the girls that travel with me now came to that very first tour and have been on my mailing list ever since. So almost 15 years of traveling, traveling together so that was the first thing I, I did. But the second thing was bigger. And I said, geez, we need a way of making these connections. Um, there's all these farms that I'm now becoming aware of. And there's all these people who want to connect to the local farm. And I looked at what was available. We'd go to Rhinebeck or um, the Finger Lakes Fiber Festival. And a lot of the yarn that farmers had available wasn't really the quality that the knitting community was interested in. There were knots in the skeins. They, they wasn't labeled in a way that they could understand the yardage. It wasn't necessarily a, a, one of the weights like DK or fingering that, mm. that a knitter wanted. There was sort of this, this disc, 
connect even when there was a venue for farmers to to offer their their materials and for knitters to obtain them so i just saw this like glaring gap in the supply chain and said i've got to do something about this so sort of like i got to do something about we need a yarn store in watkins glen i said i got to do something <laughs> about this gap in the northeast uh, in the supply chain um, to help farmers and also to help the knitters who want something authentic. Yeah. And you know, it's also right. It's that, that word authentic because you filled a need, you saw the gap and then you connected the community and supported those farmers, you know, so supporting the, on the local level um, instead of, okay, the only option is like the big guys, the big companies, the manufacturers, you know, and it's like, I, I think that um, sustainability really does play a part too. I mean, like how, how do you, um, well, we can talk about some of the, the initiatives that you're involved in, but that, you know, would you say that you also um, are able to create a very sustainable business because of the way that you conduct, you know, how you uh, run the mill? Um, the business is definitely sustainable, and and that's all under the heading of you reap what you sow. Mm. Um, if if you take good care of your customers, your customers will not only keep coming back to you, but they'll tell other people about you. Uh, we do really no advertising at all. All of our business comes from from referrals um, and just people hearing about us. I, I guess we, we go to a few fiber festivals as a way of meeting customers and picking up their wool, especially folks from Maryland and, and South where they really don't have um, other options and it's expensive to ship. So we do take a truck down to Maryland Sheep and Wool Festival so that we can bring home um, their their wool to make into yarn. So I want you to share a little bit about like sort of what a day in a life at the at the mill looks like, because just, you know, just to give the listeners a little bit more of an idea, like what you do from the time, like does, you know, do farmers drop off their fleece and then you spin it and then you, you know, deliver it? Like, how does that whole thing work? Um, you know, I read an article about you in uh, Where Women Create. I don't know if that's out yet. I'm guessing that it, it was, well, yeah, it was out in the spring of this year, but it's a great, it, it, it's such a great story about exactly what it is that you do. But can you also explain like what happens from the moment the, you know, the process begins? <laughs> so there's, there's like two things we need to talk about here. And one is the customers and one is what we do for the customers. Uh, we have three kinds of customers and a day in the life of bat and kill fibers might involve dealing with all three kinds of customers. Uh, we have farmers now from an ever-widening circle, in general, three or 400 miles from upstate New York, but also, depending on the breed of sheep, from all over the country. And these farmers have anywhere from 10 pounds to 1,000 pounds of, of greasy, dirty wool that they want scoured, um, carded, spun, applied into yarn and sent back to them on cones or skeins that they will then sell themselves through some market, through their on-farm sales, their Etsy shop, their going to a fiber festival, a farmer's market. Um, and that's up to, up to them. 
Um, also, in the course of a day, one or more uh, indie dyers will be uh, be on our doorstep or in our inbox. And that's the biggest change in the business model from 10 years ago when I was starting the company. I didn't even really know there was a category of customer called Indie Dyer, and now it accounts for a third of our business. We've met some absolutely fabulous talent uh, and and dear, dear people along the way. Uh, I'm sure we have some show notes coming up. And when we do, I'd love to love to link to a few of them, including um, Am at Oysters and and Pearls. um, Sure. And um, birch, hollow, fibers, wobble, gobble. Um, they're just beautiful designs and um, the beautiful colors. And I, I'd really like to to showcase um, these gals and what they're what they're doing, especially their commitment to regionally sourced and locally processed materials. Um, and that's just so refreshing from 10 years ago, what few indie dyers I knew of were all working on the same two or three bases that were sourced and processed overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just fabulous to to see these folks who are making the investment in in these materials. And and then the third third call of the day or the third set of emails of the day will come from yarn companies. So that may be um, a brand like um, Quince and Co. We spin their their Stonewall Romney and their Stonewall American Coriadale, or it may be from yarn companies as in yarn stores like Cornwall Yarn Shop or Common Thread in Saratoga, stores here in the Hudson Valley who, again, have customers who are looking for um, something very local, very custom. We're spinning a fabulous line of yarns for Brooklyn General Store. And, uh, of course, the Hudson Valley includes the five boroughs. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, this is Great. I love that you're talking about this because I, I feel like you're doing such a, an amazing public service <laughs> as far as this local and re, you know making sure that yarns are, you know, you're providing a service or a way to connect the local and regional companies. And, you know, as far as, you know, the big, bigger overseas companies, I mean, you know, I'm not going to tiptoe around this, but, you know, the problem with mulesing and and ill treatment to sheep and just the processing in general. And so with what you're doing is really um, helping to avoid, <laughs> avoid that. And so I, I just, I, I, I celebrate that. And thank you. Thank you so much for doing what you do with your company. Well, um, thank, thank you for, for saying that. It's um, not always easy and it's not always cheap um, because the farmers who are managing smaller flocks in a very ethical, very compassionate way um, need to be compensated for that. So the price of yarn that comes from a mill like ours, where the farmers are paid a fair price for the wool and the employees are paid a living wage, immediately makes the resulting product more expensive than if it had had come um, from a more mass-produced setting. 
If you're struggling with your fiber business or yarn shop and you need some direction, then let's set up a free 30-minute coaching session so you can get some clarity on your goals. You'll also get a taste of what it's like to work with me in a more formal way, and I'll share more details about my Rock Your Shop coaching program, which will help you get more peeps in your LYS or online shop. So let's set up a time together and let's crush your goals. Go to karagotwarner.com forward slash coach with Kara. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm going to do is I'm going to switch gears a little bit and I want to ask you a little bit, I guess maybe you answered some of this. Um, So if I were a designer and let's say I wanted to uh, create my own indie yarn line, um, and I came to you and I said, I would love to do this. Um, so how would you go about working with someone like that, that might want to like kind of open the conversation about what they would need to do to get started doing that with you? It's, um, so super easy. Oh, I've done it now with a, a few, um, folks were still in development, so I'm not going to talk about, um, brand names here quite yet. Um, uh, but several, fledgling um, designer yarn company combos have have come and said we really want to we really want to make a yarn or two that's it's totally local where we can meet the farmers where we could send a film crew to the farm and and go that far down the um, supply chain of of chain of custody of the materials the whole way from the the shearing to the the yarn shop and and so the really the first step is for me to see what what their interest is in a yarn are they shawl knitters sock knitters do they want to mainly offer sweaters are they looking for something with a a little elegance or did they come to me because they wanted uh, a little artisan a little little crafty crunchy and (laughs) because we spin semi-worsted we can make a very smooth yarn especially with long staple fibers like mohair and alpaca as well as the long wools uh, romney teeswater wensley dale cotswold and and so there's a, a lot of potential for designers and yarn companies who want to work with us on on all the way to a breed specific specific weight specific ply um and so once we have a conversation about what it is they're they're looking for is their aesthetic boxy is their aesthetic drapey in a garment are they mainly interested in in home decor and we do get um, quite a few of them as well who want a line of of bed linens blankets skirts table runners uh, those kinds of things once we hear what they're looking to make we can help advise them on the best wool to choose the or other fibers and the best weights twists and plies of of yarn and then we just make some uh, small run samples and they can send that to their test knitters test weavers um, whatever they're doing with it next and evaluate that before we launch into a big big batch wow that's so cool so um what what would be a commitment for like, let's say, you know, I know some bigger companies, um, it's easy for them to probably come, you know, meet your minimums, but for someone that's really small and just starting out, what would, what would it be like, how would you work 
out the minimums with a smaller designer. Well, our logistics at the mill, um, and people see this once they come to visit and understand that while it sounds like a lot, they're they're really on the hook for for 10 pounds of finished yarn um, that we just can't even launch an R&D project um, for for less than that. and so there's the potential of someone investing three or four hundred dollars in a startup and not really liking the results they get and needing to sell that and just as is to a third party and then try again on, on a different tack. Um, that's why we do quite a lot of consulting before we even run those first 10 oh, pounds. Sure. And that way, I, we don't often have someone who hates their first 10 pounds. We've certainly got people who say, yes, thanks, now let's. Mm-hmm. And then they modify from there. Um, but we certainly would never make even the first 10 pounds. So they were were hideous, but they often do point to modifications that need to be done. Sure. I mean, and and you mentioned that you would do a small run of samples anyway. So you're consulting and you're creating samples so that the customer feels really um, confident about the the finished product. So yeah, that's great. I mean, because I know that there are listeners probably that could be interested in something like that. So I just I just wanted to ask you to kind of elaborate on what that would be like for, you know, just sort of, a, you know, a small indie uh, company. But it's still, this would apply to anyone. So thank you for sharing that. And with the, with the indie dyers, one thing that we have, uh, we can always just send out a skein or a, a half a skein of, of something that's similar to what they have in mind. So we get this quite a bit. Someone wants um, two-ply decay weight in a, a long wool merino blend with a loose twist. Well, we might have two-ply sport in a Romney Merino blend with a loose twist. And we can send them a skein of that. Or we might have on hand um, a three-ply instead of a two-ply. Or we might have it with a tighter twist. But by being able to give them something that meets three out of the four of their criteria, they can at least begin to see how that's going to take dye or how that's going to work in their looms or on their knitting machines and then be able to say, well, gee, if we could just tighten that a little bit or if we make it just a little heavier. And so that's also a really good starting point where there's not even a 10-pound investment, where there's a one-skein investment Mm. to start experimenting with just something similar that we happen to have on hand. Yeah. So you offer, uh, speaking of indie dyers, so you have a dyeing studio and you dye, um, dyed, you know, you can dye the wool, you dyed in the wool. Is that like a phrase? Um, kettle dyeing and hand painted. So you do all of those services. Is that correct? We do offer all those services and it's mainly our farm customers that take us up on that. Um, and that, that we're, Works great. There's a a Lincoln Longwall farm up in northern Vermont that just sent us their whole clip of close to 400 pounds. And Lincoln comes in white and gray. Um, But they also work with a a number of weavers in Vermont. And the weavers want to work with more than white and gray. 
So we've been able to make them three natural colors, which is white and light gray and gray. And we get to that light gray by just blending some of the white with some of the gray. And then we can take those three colors and once they're spun into yarn, dye them for four colors times three. So now they have a range of 12 colors mm. to offer the weavers that they work with. Wow. Exciting. I love it. Um, okay. So let's switch gears again, because I want to talk about the Hudson Valley Textile Project. This is a, an initiative that you've been part of for a few years now. And it kind of ties back into the local farmers and, and all the sustainability stuff that we were talking about. So can you share a little bit about this, um, you know, the purpose behind this initiative? Um, well, you know, I love talking about the Hudson Valley Textile Project. I think those were the first words out of my mouth when I, I met you. And in fact, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I met you because of my my co-founder, my partner in crime, Gail Perinello, who is the owner of Cornwall Yarn Shop in Cornwall, New York. And the Hudson Valley Textile Project really began right after the mill began with that call from Gail who said, hi, I own a yarn store and I want some local yarn. And I was thinking what better way to get it than to call a mill that happens to be in the Hudson Valley, just like my store. Do you have anything you can send me? <laughs> and <laughs> that's where it was born right there. Cause then we met after our first few batches of yarn and really started talking about what was she hearing from her hand and customers? What were they looking for? What did I know about the, the farms and how could I match up what was available, readily available to me? Um, because there's a, a, a markup there in the, in that whole keystoning of yarn stores, um, there's there's another step there. I'm now selling to Gail, who needs to make a living as well, and needs to also keep it affordable for her her customers. So we had to look at what was, um, how could we help the farmers by taking some materials that mightn't have brought them a lot of money else otherwise. Um, so that's how it all started. And Gail and I just talked more and more about this and decided about five years ago, well, we ought to get together with a couple other people we knew who shared some of these ideas with us. And we had a breakfast in New Paltz at the diner, or the official headquarters of the mm -hmm. Hudson Valley Textile Project. Uh, started reaching out to people that Gail knew that were interested, people that I knew that were interested. Pretty soon we had a sort of working committee. We held a summit to try to identify what were the issues and opportunities in a, a farm to fabric supply chain. We thought maybe the six of us who ate at the diner and another six or eight people might come. There was only room for 50 in the building and that's how we had to cut the guest list. Two years ago, we switched the summit to a new location and that building, there's only room for 85 and we outgrew that space last year. There was standing room only. So we're going to have to grow the summit next year, even even to a larger location. So it's fabulous. The interest uh, all through the supply chain. It's not just the, the brands or the designers. It's the, the individual makers, um, the 
farmers, it's economic development organizations. Um, we had a, a representative of a, the state senator for New Paltz sent her ag um, policy person to join us. It's, it's just gaining that much interest and attention. Oh my gosh. That's great. Yeah. I mean, when you first mentioned this to me, I was so thrilled because, well, I'm, you know, I'm so about like just really being connected to what, what is it that, um, what can we do on the, on the local level, on the grassroots level? And, you know, just what you're doing, you know, in the Hudson Valley is just, it's, it's just amazing. So like right now, like, what is it that you and Gail are working on? Like, what is the big, big vision right now? Um, for 2019, the Hudson Valley Textile Project has has two main initiatives, and um, one of those is education. And we received a very generous contribution from one of our board members that has enabled us to retain a fantastic professional photographer, Gail Zucker, um, who folks may know that name from seeing her her photos in in the knitting magazines and and elsewhere. Gail is just fabulous. And we are developing a series of posters and point of sale materials about the animals, the, who are the farmers, what are the breeds, how are the breeds used, and where are they located? What does it look like in the Hudson Valley? And um, we've done one round of shoot photo shoots in the late spring. And then first week of September, we're going to do the second round with her. So that's one of um, the two initiatives, uh, big initiatives for the year of Hudson Valley Textile Project in in education. We also helped um, um, a high school career and technical ed program get the funding to really build on their fashion. It's a fashion program to add farm to fashion. And that grant came from the New York Ag in the Classroom program that's enabling them to bring in some guest speakers to do field trips to farms and the mill and a weaving studio. And then also to do their capstone projects at the end of um, next school year um, in which they're going to design and sew garments using locally sourced materials and locally woven yard goods. Uh, so just fabulous things in education. Yeah. And then one that is all about you. And that is um, Gail has launched a podcast. Oh, oh yes. she did. She finally yes. did. It. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> oh, exactly. Because oh, I was just going to say, speaking of how we met and I wanted to, like, you know, talk about Gail. And it's amazing how you guys are so busy. I don't even know if you sleep. But uh, so, yeah, tell me, like, what? When is it? Did it launch? Give me, give me more details. Well, she's taping. She's taped about a dozen episodes, and oh. she and I just um, taped the intro of episode one last last week, and um, it's it's just fabulous what she's come up with. Thanks to our friend Catherine uh, at Brooklyn General Store, we've named the podcast Thread Counts. Oh. That's great. I love that name. Uh, That's great. Yeah, you guys. And Gail is interviewing. 
Yeah. Gail is interviewing all of us that had breakfast in the New Paltz Diner as the first six of her 12, since we were all, all there with her from the from the beginning but we we couldn't have done it without you and that that fabulous class we took at tnna on on how to be podcasters and also how to appear on podcasts i learned that from you too and and just just recently i was the guest on a podcast and i don't think any of that would have happened without um taking your class as well Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I just, um, you know, I'm just really impressed by all that you've been doing. And I'm so happy to hear that Gail finally launched the the podcast because we met actually uh, at TNNA a second time. And we, you know, I kind of coached her and, you know, tried to help her get, you know, push her over the fence. And so now she's finally doing it. So I just love to help people, um, you know, move the needle, so to speak on their, you know, just getting out there, getting uh, out from behind the bushes, you know, and promoting, promoting themselves on a podcast, because, you know, that was the thing that, that the class that you took was um, how to actually pitch to get on a podcast and such a powerful medium. And here you are on my podcast. So I just thought, you know what, let's just hop on, on a call together because, um, well, you can get, you can just kind of get more practice <laughs> and, and also, um, you know, uh, your, your, your mission, your vision, your purpose is like, it's huge. I mean, like I said before, this is like beyond the business part, because we're all in business, you know, we're, we're in businesses because we really care about what we're doing, right? <laughs> and you're offering such an amazing public service. I mean, really, I just think, and just to connect the community and now with the Hudson Valley Textile Project, just meeting Gail, like what was, that was just so that was like serendipity. You know, that was amazing. And by the way, you mentioned the, the New Paltz Diner. You just, I, I had like a blast, a blast to the past or a blast. Yeah, blast to the past, I guess is the best way to say it because, you know, I'm from New York originally. I grew up in New Jersey, but, you know, I lived in, in the city and, you know, kind of, I love the whole Hudson Valley. I lived in Hudson Valley for a little while and I love New Paltz and I love that diner. <laughs> that is the best place. So I'm glad that you mentioned that and brought that up. That was awesome. Um, that's just really, you never know, I think is what this has all come around to when you get up in the morning and you're sitting there doing your yoga stretches or you're knitting or drinking your tea or whatever people do when they get up in the morning, you never know. And you ask me, well, what happens in the day in the life at the mill? And day after day, looks and sounds pretty much the same. There's some farmers, there's some dyers, there's some uh, yarn brand that you're working on, but you never can tell when one day there's a different voice on the phone and you've never heard that person before. And how that is going to be the beginning of a 10-year journey, a nonprofit with a, a board of directors and receiving grants. You just, you absolutely never know what every day is going to bring and who you're going to meet that's going to lead you to your next big thing. 
Oh my gosh. I know. And it's like just waking up and just being open, like being open to the wonder of the day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I think that's how those things come into your life, especially when you're living on purpose and you're doing that thing that you know is really why you're here, why you're in business to begin with. And that's not to say that um, every day is like fairy dust and it's happy. Like you, <laughs> you have those days where it's tough, but because you're doing the thing that really, that you believe in, it makes it that much easier to get through, to do it, right? To do it. And, um, and I just think that sometimes when people like Gail come into your life or when I met you, I thought, ah, oh, oh my gosh, when I met you actually for the first time last year and with Gail, cause you had, you know, we were passing in the hallway at TNNA and I, you know, I just have a very special place in my heart for the Hudson Valley, no matter what. And I was like, Hmm, we're going to meet again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just knew it. And beyond this podcast, I'm telling you, uh, you're going to, you're going to hear from me again. Just, you know, we're definitely going to keep in touch for sure, because I just, I'm just so thrilled with all that, all that you're doing. Oh, well, that, that's great that we yeah. will. And I, I like that idea. And thank you for saying as much. And one yeah. thing we could work on that I think people listening to this right now, um, I, I want to say, and that is, you can do this too. If you think you have a story that's interesting, um, that could help other people, um, you should take the leap and reach out to podcasters or uh, reach out in whatever media that you feel comfortable with and 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 let those editors let those hosts know who you are and what you're working on uh, because that that's really people love hearing uh, real people's stories it, it's so much more interesting you know you think oh podcasting that's for celebrities or it's for people who are, are really good public speakers well it's it's for everyone who has a passion and that wants to share it Oh, absolutely. And you inspired me because I'm thinking, you know what? That class that I did at TNNA, like how to pitch to get on a podcast, I think I should just do an episode. You know, like it, obviously it's not going to be like a two hour episode, but really just like the principles, like here are some ways that you can really get your feet wet. So I think that it's my responsibility to do that. <laughs> so I think I'm going to do it. I'm excited. You know what would be fun? We had some other really fabulous my classmates, three or four of them and I are still in contact oh, and, wow. and Instagramming together. In fact, one of them is an indie dyer who wanted to share her story. And now I'm making some yarn for her that I met in your class. Oh, wow. Uh, so I, I think it'd be really interesting to just reach out to your students and see what, what they've done, too. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I reached out, um, you know, right after the class, but I definitely would love to, um, you know, to, this is a good reminder to definitely get back, you know, uh, on the emails, <laughs> on the Instagrams and see what they're up to. Because absolutely, that that is just amazing that you guys connected. Um, wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, I wanted to mention one other thing or ask you about one other thing before we sign off. Cause I could, I mean, I feel like I don't want to be all over the place. I feel like I am because I have so many questions for you, but, um, 
you also do, you offer retreats and tours. And I, I find that to be very intriguing because I know that's become a big thing for knitters. And um, can you share just a little bit? And you mentioned in our pre-chat that this is something that you're really getting into. Could you just share a little bit about that? And then we can wrap up and then, you know, the listeners can learn more. But could you, yeah, just share a little bit about what you're doing in that, in that respect? So the purpose of our trips is not the same as some of the other knitting trips out there. It goes back to the very first knitting tour retreat that we did uh, 15 years ago when I started the first yarn store in Watkins Glen, New York. And and that's purposeful travel uh, to un- understand the 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 place and the culture that we're going to. It's not to bring a celebrity knitter with us to teach us a technique in a cool location. It's to sit in the church basement in Larewick on the Shetland Islands with not some celebrity, but with the ladies who knit there on Tuesday afternoons and and see their notebook of Shetland lace patterns drawn on graph paper from the lumber yard where their husband works and brought them home a pad of paper put in their their kids old eighth grade band folder that that's what we're looking for in our travel is meeting those kind of people and having those kind of authentic participatory experiences so our travel is very different and it's sometimes a late night or an early morning in order to to have that experience to to sit in a little fjord town in western norway with the gals that have come together and formed a 20-member a cooperative to sell what they've woven and knitted when the big fjord cruise ships come ashore. The cruise ships, they come ashore for a minute, they look at the stuff, they get back on and go. We spend two nights in that town. We eat at the same restaurants the local people eat at, and then we sit and knit with them. Um, in that case, we had to get us a translator, the Um, But by the end of four hours, um, you can talk about slip, slip, knit versus knit two together in any language. Oh, absolutely. And that's just it. Even though it's not like, okay, we're going to knit and this is what the tour is about. It ties back to the local aspect, to the community. And it's still, you know, it's like connecting the dots back to all that you do, to your, that same vision in your business. So I I think um, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it certainly is. We're so excited for this year's tour. We're starting in Copenhagen and then going out from there in several directions, including up to northern Denmark um, to have a class with um, Helena Zager to learn about um, that mill and how they're making yarn and and uh, and what all they're doing with design concepts as well. Um, so this group of, of gals and I are already very excited. We um, take take off in about two months from now. Oh, great! So that so it's one time a year. Is that? 
It has been just once a year, every fall, roughly the week after Rhinebeck. Um, one year we we tried to go the two weeks before Rhinebeck, and I was a nervous wreck. Um, <laughs> but it was to New Mexico, and we needed to go because we wanted to go at the time of the Taos Sheep and Wool Festival, and so that only comes once a year. But that's one reason why when we did go to Shetlands, we didn't go for Wool Week. We went after Wool Week um, because I, I don't like being away right before Rhinebeck. But some year we'll go when it is Wool Week just because I'd love to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so listeners can learn more about that on your website pretty easily, right? So that's what I'm going to ask you next. To share all the all the goodness, like where people can learn more about you. Sure, sure. Yeah. So all our trips are posted on uh, Bat and Kill Fibers with an S, batandkillfibers.com. And folks like, they just follow me on Instagram. I'm just me, MJ Packer. Uh, nothing tricky there, just MJ <laughs> Packer. And uh, you, you can always, you can see what I'm up to if it's knitting a sweater for my granddaughter or um, helping my partner in our maple syrup farm or um, spinning some beautiful, unusual fiber for one of our farm customers. I just kind of post it all, whatever's um, exciting to me that day so that people can can follow along. Yeah, I have to say your website is packed with lots of good information. So like on the sidebar, uh, it's lots of good stuff. So yeah, everybody listen or read, read what's there. It's great. It's a great place. Um, so yeah, this is awesome, Mary Jean. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. Oh, it was fun. And thank you so much for uh, making me part of your part of your podcast community. If you're struggling with your fiber business or yarn shop and you need some direction, then let's set up a free 30 minute coaching session so you can get some clarity on your goals. You'll also get a taste of what it's like to work with me in a more formal way. And I'll share more details about my Rock Your Shop coaching program, which will help you get more peeps in your LYS or online shop. So let's set up a time together and let's crush your goals. Go to karagotwarner.com forward slash coach with Kara.